Hey, and welcome to Transform Your Workplace. I'm your host, Brandon Laws. In today's episode, I have a conversation with Kevin Eikenberry. He is the author of The Long Distance Leader, Rules for Remarkable Remote Leadership. And I think what's interesting about this book, this discussion, is that now with technology, you know, we are not constrained to finding talent just in our little local area anymore. We are finding talent all across the globe. That presents a lot of opportunity, but it presents a lot of challenges. And I think what Kevin really tries to get across throughout his book is, for one, what about leadership has changed, if anything, with having remote workers? And two, how do you lead people who are working remote? Is that a barrier to be leading people? So throughout this book, throughout this conversation, Kevin answers those questions. I really enjoyed this discussion with Kevin. I think you're really going to get a lot of value from it. I'm always trying to find topics like this that are interesting and are ones that like, you know, challenges we're facing as workplaces going forward. So anyways, if you run across topics like these or things that you're finding are challenging that you want questions answered, I'd love to hear from you. Reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'd love to connect there. Instagram is another great place. I'm always checking that. Yeah, and then Twitter as well. So connect with me any of those places. I'd love to hear from you. Please, if you're a longtime listener or even just started listening and you're getting a lot of value from the podcast, would love it if you went on Apple Podcasts or wherever you go and listen to our podcast and give us a five-star review. It'd be so amazing. I'd really appreciate it. Anyways, we've got a lot of great stuff coming. I've got content basically and interviews recorded all the way through September. So much great stuff coming at you. Always trying to improve though. So any feedback you have, please reach out. Enjoy the conversation with Kevin Eikenberry. Hey, Kevin, it's so great to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Hey, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Your book, I wanted to talk about The Long Distance Leader, Rules for Remarkable Remote Leadership. This book is more timely than ever. We're working more remotely than ever. It's probably due to the tools that we have available and the technology. But since this book is The Long Distance Leader, has anything changed about the principles of leadership at all? Now that we're working remotely, we're interacting with each other from a distance, has anything changed about leadership? Well, leadership hasn't changed. We're leading people. I don't believe that the fundamentals or the principles of leadership have changed. As you've said already, the context has changed. Brandon, we've got people who are working from home, people working from client sites. We've got people working on the road. We've got people that have a desk, are only there one or two days a week or three or four days a month or whatever. So We've got remote workers almost assuredly, if you're listening, you've got some, at least some of the time, maybe that's you as the boss. Leadership has not changed. I know there are some people that write and speak and do what I do that think leadership has changed because the world is changing. I believe the principles have not changed, but there are some things, the nuances of what we need to do differently. In other words, building trust is important regardless of where your people are. Building trust when people are remote is different, right? And maybe even more important, just as one example. 
Yeah. So you and your co-author, Wayne, you wrote The Long Distance Leader, not The Long Distance Manager. What are the clear differences between those two roles, especially when you consider distance and proximity? Because I think one of your clients even said it. There's a quote in the book that said, it feels like we're just herding cats, but now we're doing it via email. So what's the difference between those two roles as a leader and manager? Well, you know, I've been at this a long time. I also know that at this very moment, I'm working on some work for LinkedIn Learning, building a new course for them called the Foundations of Management. And I'm becoming very aware that many people have different definitions of manager and leader. In fact, if you Google it, Brandon, some people will even show you a list, right? The bad things are manager, good things are leader. Hmm. I don't know that there's a right answer. Here's what I know. What I know is that those words often get used interchangeably. Yes, they do. I believe that if you are a person in an organization that is leading others, right, that you have both roles to play. And the way that we think about it is that, in short, we manage things and we lead people. That if you think about the work, it's two circles that overlap sort of like the MasterCard logo. One of them is management and one of them is leadership. and We've got to forecast and plan and organize and budget and do those sorts of things, which I think is more traditional management things, things that are more black and white for which there are more likely single right answers or limited number of right answers where leadership is about the people. And it's much more gray, much more situational, much harder than management. However, both of them are our jobs. When we consider remote work, and why you know leaders or managers may not embrace it as much as they probably should at this point, because now our people are so distributed. What are some of the biggest concerns that you hear why people aren't embracing it? Well, first of all, if you're not embracing it, you're just ignoring the real world, right? So it's time <laughs> to get over that and move on. Because if you walk through your office and you got people that have desks, but they're not there, and they're not sick or on vacation, then you have a remote workforce. So the first thing is we got to get over ourselves and quit saying that we don't when we probably do. That's the first thing. The thing that a lot of folks, and you know, after you ask the manager leader question, I'll probably use those somewhat interchangeable, right? For the next little bit, as a remote leader or as a remote manager, a lot of times people worry about things that are control related, like how do I know what they're doing? Are they doing their work? And I think a lot of that gets down to two things. Number one is people are thinking about activity when I think they ought to be thinking about accomplishment. I have a bunch of my team that works remotely. And if they don't have to be available for a phone call, or if they're not making phone calls and being customer facing, why should I care when the work gets mm -hmm. done? As long as the work gets done, why should I care if they do their laundry as long as the work gets done? I say that because there are a lot of people who say, well, if they're down the hall, I know what they're doing. You really don't. True. First of all, yeah. it's a mirage. And second of all, to think that you need to is kind of silly if you step back and think about it. And third of all, the reality is that we need to let go of that. We think that people are going to work at home and they're going to get distracted. But the reality is the research shows that for most kinds of work, we actually are more productive at home when we're alone than when we're with others because we have fewer distractions. So Brandon, I sometimes ask people, have you ever worked between Christmas and New Year's? <laughs> People start to smile yeah. and say, man, I get so much done. There's no one there to distract. Yep. Yep. And I simply say, that's your remote team member every day. 
So the research shows that you'll actually accomplish more. Now, if someone is not disciplined to work at, you know, when they're working home and they're distracted, they're probably just as distracted at work. You're just not thinking about it. Yeah, it's an interesting distinction you make that, you know, it's all about results at the end of the day. And, and, you know, for those leaders who think they need to be face to face, and that's how they've led forever, how do you get them to make this shift to say, look, it's all about results and reporting on that. And it's outcomes for the business. How do you get those leaders who are so stuck in their ways to make this paradigm shift? Well, again, usually you're not making them. It's already happened, yeah. right? So you're just have, trying to get them to be successful in the new way. And so I think a big thing, if that's you, the big thing is to ask yourself, what am I really trying to accomplish? What is my role really in helping that person be successful? And when you stop and think about it and you think about your role in supporting them and helping them be successful, there's no reason that you can't do that remotely. Now, I had a great conversation on my podcast, Brandon, about a year ago with Tom Peters, who you know is an icon. Mm-hmm. And he co-wrote a book in 1983 where the phrase managing by wandering around yeah. was introduced. When he and I were talking, I said, Tom, we can't wander around when our people are spread out across five time zones. He says, well, what is it then? Management by frequent flyer miles? And I said, well, no, <laughs> although there's nothing wrong with that. I said, what it really is, is leading by webcam. And so I think that the thing is, the next best thing to being there is not long distance, like AT&T told us 25 years ago. The next best thing to being there is our webcam. So we need to be getting our folks comfortable with, and we've got to get comfortable with our webcam because we can still have face-to-face conversations, if you will. Is it quite the same as across the table? No, but it's darn close. And it's a whole lot better than the phone or the email. And quite honestly, I've had people tell me, you know, I've got people that work in the same building as me, but we're remote too, because all I ever do is talk to them on email. So what's the physical difference between those two I love that you brought up the webcam because it's probably something that people aren't totally comfortable with. And I think you brought up a really good point later on in the book about feedback and just timing of, you know, if you have to have a difficult conversation and you never do the webcam and then saying, hey, let's jump on a webcam, how that might come off as like, oh, this must be a serious conversation. Whereas if you just introduce it and say like, hey, do you want phone or do you want webcam today? And just make it a regular part of those meetings. Is that how you kind of think about integrating the webcam, even though people aren't really that comfortable with it yet? So a couple of things. First of all, it's not that they might be worried if you say, let's turn on the webcam. They will be. Mm -hmm. First of all, there's no might about it. Here's the way I look at it. I have some members of my team with whom if we're going to talk, unless one of us knows that we're driving or something, it's automatic that we'll use the webcam. For some other members of my team, they are less comfortable with that. I think in some cases, you know, they might not dress for work the way they think I would expect. You know, they don't want to be on the webcam. So the way I look at it is I want to have at least some of my conversations with all of my team members on the webcam because it gives us greater richness than just the phone. I do, however, recognize that some people like it more than others or are more comfortable with it than others. So I don't force everyone to exactly the same standard. But I do have everyone, even those who are more reticent, we've had that conversation. Hey, you know, we will have better conversations. Well, I'll just say it like this. So, hey, do you notice a difference between when we're on the phone and when we're face-to-face? Well, sure. One is better than the other. Okay. Well, the next best thing is the webcam. And so at least some of the time, I'd like us to do that. Doesn't have to be all the time if you don't want it to be. But sometimes I'm going to ask for it. It isn't necessarily going to be any big deal that time just because I want us to have a rhythm of doing that at least some of the time. Are you okay with that? And they're like, sure, I'd like to know if we're scheduling meetings the day before or something. I'm like, I've got no problem with that at all. That's the way I would go about it because that's what's worked for me. 
even besides the webcam, I mean, there's so many cool tools out there that we can use at our disposal. Like I think of myself, like I work with a lot of remote people, mostly like contractor freelance people that are using the marketing side. But what I love is that I can send voice messages, video messages, and I don't always have to hop on a webcam. I don't always have to just use email. I don't always have to use instant messaging tools. I can use some of these other contextual type of technologies. Are you using any of that with your team? And do you recommend it, especially when you're in a leader, employee, manager relationship, any one of those situations? I don't know that that point is any different if it's an employee, employer. But here's the thing. You're right. We've got more tools than ever. And in fact, you know, you and I are using a tool today that I said, I thought I knew them all and we're using a different one. (laughs) So I think the key is to focus on what do we want and need to accomplish so we can have successful communication, successful coaching, build trust, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think you run the risk, the more tools you have of people not knowing which one to use when. I think the bigger question than which tools should you use is helping people know which ones we're going to use when. So when we added an instant messenger, which is Slack in our case, when we added that several years ago, we had some people that were interested in it, some people who weren't, some people who didn't see how it was any different than email. So what we did was we played with it as a group for a while. We had a conversation about when are we going to use which tool and for what purposes. Because once we do that, then everyone can be on the same page. They'll know when to look for what stuff where They'll know how to have a conversation that's more successful. In our case, we know that if it's a longer message, it probably works better in an email than in Slack and all of those sorts of things. So I think it's less about the tools that we pick than making sure that people are comfortable with using them, receiving them, and having clear expectations around the use of them. Yeah. In chapter 12 of your book, you actually illustrated this point in a graphic that had a uh, you had richness of media on a y-axis and scope of media on an x-axis. And you basically just outlined, here are the tools available and here is how you might want to use it from a communication standpoint. What did you learn, especially as you put that graphic together and how you're using some of these tools to communicate certain things? Well, so a couple of things. First of all, let's back up and say that you've read the book since I have, <laughs> but I certainly know this particular graph that you're talking about. It didn't come from us. We gave credit to where we got it from originally. Yes. Here's the thing. First of all, let's define richness and scope. So richness is the closest, most rich conversation we can have is across the table, nose to nose, eye to eye, right? Everything else, as we add number of people, we take away some of our visual and verbal cues, it becomes less rich, right? But as we give away richness, we can certainly add to scope. Like we can get a lot of people getting the same basic message received with an email. We can send it to a million people at once if we want. We can send We can send a recorded video, to your point earlier, to as many people in our organization as we want. So it's always a trade-off of richness versus scope. And so we spend a lot of time thinking about what are we trying to accomplish, and then let's use the right tool for the right job. So Brandon, I'm going to my farm in Michigan in just a few days, and when actually by the time this comes out, I'll probably be there. I probably own, I don't know, 10 hammers, maybe 12. And you could say, well, I got a hammer so I could do this job or that job or the next job. But if there's a different hammer that I ought to use for, I would use a sledgehammer for something different than I would use a rubber mallet mm-hmm. that I would use for a claw hammer. They are all hammers. All of these tools are communication tools, but we should use the right one in the right case. Here's the simplest example of all. Everyone who's listening has gotten in an email thread that went south. Mm-hmm. And the biggest reason why is, We're trying to use email for a conversation. Email's not good at a conversation. Using email for a conversation is like using a sledgehammer 
to tack a nail in the wall. It's just the wrong tool for that job. Yeah, the right tool, right job. It's funny because a lot of employees, I think they just use the tools that are given to them. And you quoted Peter Drucker at the end of the book by saying, put good people on a bad system and the system wins every time, end quote. And you know, based on that quote, it seems like there's probably more of a need for leaders than ever before to build great systems, have the best tools available and set people up for success. How do you do that as things are changing so rapidly? Like, How do you continue to stay up on all this advancement and use the right tools? I think the biggest key is, first of all, if you've got great tools that work, keep using them. I mean, you don't have to be you know, squirrel looking for the next tool every day. That's the first <laughs> sure. thing. The next thing I would say is we've got to be really good at setting clear expectations about what we want. So let me give you another example around the technology. You're going to have some people that you hinted at it that will want to use a tool because it's the tool that they know or it's the tool that they like. You've got people in your organization that like to use email because they know email. You've got people in your organization that would rather send a text message because they would rather send a text message. You might have some people that don't like to talk on the telephone. I am more than happy to bow to people's preferences unless it's not the right tool. So you yeah. know, just because someone doesn't want to be on the phone doesn't mean I'm not going to say they got to be on the phone if we need to be on the phone to do the job or to get the job done correctly. So I think the big key here is being clear about expectations and we can take people's preferences into account to a degree. I'll give you an example. My son is now 27, but when he was about 18 or 17, if I texted him, really it's not any different now. If I called him, he didn't answer his phone. If I text him and say, call me, he'll call me right away, which makes zero sense to me <laughs> yeah. at all, right? Now, I know that's his preference. In this particular case, I know that if I need to talk to him, I can text him and it will happen. I'm fine with that, even though I don't understand it. But if it was a business context and we needed people to be picking up the phone, then I'm not going to allow them to live with what they like best. I'm going to make them, I'm going to encourage them, I'm going to expect them to do the things that will get us the best business or communication results. Well said there. So the fact that people are working more remote and are more isolated than ever. How do you fight the loneliness that people will sometimes feel? I mean, granted, they are connected. Like a lot of times, there's a lot of different ways to communicate. But I think people generally feel pretty lonely. How have you figured out ways to connect people, not only to the mission of the organization, but to the teams as well? Yeah, there's a big difference between being alone and being lonely, right? You can be alone mm -hmm. and not be lonely, but people can get lonely. And that will be a bigger issue. The need for socialization will be a bigger issue for some people than others based on their personality. It'll be a bigger issue for some based on what other social interaction they have in their day or in their life. So we've got to be very aware of that just from a keeping people comfortable and not stressed, right? But in terms of how does that play out in terms of creating socialization and creating connectedness and creating uh, relationships on the team, again, it starts out as expectation that I want my team to know each other and not just work together, first of all. So I'll give you a couple of little things that anyone can do that will help in that regard, okay? The first one is when a new person joins your team, if it's a remote team or a hybrid team where some are remote and some are not, is I set an expectation, we recommend the same to clients, is that when a new person joins within the first two weeks, they need to have a 30-minute conversation on the phone or webcam with every other member of the team, where no more than 10 minutes of that can be about work. In other words, I'm legislating that people get to know each other. Because that will more likely happen face-to-face. -face. 
right? It's no guarantee that it'll happen face-to-face, but it's more likely to happen there than it will be when people are at the other end of the technology. So I legislate it. I make it a clear expectation that that's going to happen, number one. Second thing is, when you go to a meeting in an office, you walk into the meeting space, not everyone gets there at the same moment. And the people that get there before we start end up doing what? Interacting, chatting, socializing. Mm -hmm. But too often in a remote situation, the person who's setting up the meeting is the boss and they're running late. And so no one can be in the room until someone sets it up. Number one, if you're going to set it up, make sure it's set up early, even if you are going to be gone for a couple minutes. So as people arrive, they can interact, right? I'm a big believer in meetings starting on time, but more than once I've signed in at a couple minutes before the hour and waited till a couple minutes after because there was natural conversation happening that I know can't happen in many cases unless we give them a space. So we got to give time and space for it whenever we can. As people build some amount of working relationship, they have a better chance of creating those moments of conversation and making their phone calls less transactional and sending a message to each other about their weekend and those sorts of things. As people are connected seemingly 100% of the time, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Is there ever a question of people working too much, like not setting boundaries for themselves, for personal and for work? What have you found? I think there's certainly people for whom that's true. But again, we're back to activity versus accomplishment. We got a lot of people that are acting like they're busy and they're checking stuff all the time. Mm. But they're not really getting as much done as they could. First thing. Second thing is the first thing that you can do if you're worried about that is make sure you're shutting it off. So I'll give you an example. I travel a lot. And so I get in different time zones at strange times of day and night. And I'm a morning person. So I have probably sent email at pretty much every hour of the day, Eastern time, right? People on my team know that they are not expected to reply to an email when they get it, especially if it's when they should be sleeping. (laughs) Yeah. And they're not necessarily going to hear from me if they send it. In other words, email is good at asynchronous. So I think we should have very clear expectations about all those sorts of things. And one of the best things we can do if we're worried about people working too hard, always being connected, et cetera, et cetera, is to model the right behaviors ourselves. That's a perfect illustration of that. Going to feedback, because I think that's a huge part of leadership is presenting feedback, whether it's positive, negative, constructive, all that. How do you deliver feedback, especially when it's constructive, when you're remote? Besides hopping on a webcam, any methodology around like, hey, you know, I'd like to provide some feedback. When can we talk? Like, how do you present that? <laughs> yeah, well, don't do that. Because the person says, the boss wants to give me feedback. Can we talk on Monday? We're like, ah! Uh, Oh no, I'm going to spew on it all weekend. Yeah, exactly. So because everyone's first thought about that word feedback is, uh uh-oh, SpaghettiO, right? Like, uh uh-oh, what are you wrong? So try not to use the word. There's a power differential between you and your team, regardless of how connected you are and all those other sorts of things. And so be careful of that. Do this. You ought to be having more regular conversations with people so that whenever you do happen to give some feedback, it's not such a big event, number one. It should be an ongoing part of the conversation that we're having about working and working together. And so if that happens, there will still be times, of course, when it's a sort of a bigger deal, either positive or negative. But fundamentally, if we're having more frequent conversations, this will be less of an issue. We should turn on our webcams whenever we can in this regard, which is why I love it when people are comfortable with the webcams, right? Because we can stay in that space. But the other thing I would say here is that if we can make it more informal, more frequent, and more specific about behaviors, 
we'll be way ahead over the long haul. Yeah, you spend a lot of time talking about coaching throughout the book. And I think it's really a, a huge part of leadership, especially when you're remote. How do you make sure that you have those regular ongoing, as you said, informal discussions? Is it once a week, one-on-ones with your people? How do you reduce some of the barriers that remote work brings to the relationship? You know, I think that people make a bigger deal out of the difference there than they need to, right? So mm-hmm. while I can't walk up and down the hall, and there were two people here in the office today, I could see the two of them. I did talk to them, you know, in the hallway or whatever, or in their office, or they came into my office. No one else did I interact with. I interacted with several more members of my team intentionally. Some cases it was an instant message. One person, it, it was a meeting and we were on a webcam. The big word here I would say is we may have to be more intentional for the sort of you know, leading by wandering around, right, virtually. But beyond that, if you're scheduling regular one-on-ones, it really is no different whether they're remote or whether they're not. We need to schedule them. We need to make sure we keep them. We need to be on time for them. If someone in the office sees that you're slammed and three things have happened and you have to cancel or postpone the meeting, they get it. The person who's remote doesn't. They don't have any other cues other than that, oh, now they're canceling because I'm not important enough to keep the schedule for, right? So we've got to do everything we can to keep those meetings when we're going to have them. So schedule them, schedule them regularly. I think weekly is a good starting point. Depends a lot, though, on the person, the nature of the work, their proficiency, et cetera, as to exactly whether they're every week or they're more frequent or less frequent. But have an agreement with them about how frequent it's going to be so it's not a big deal. Oh, Kevin wants to talk to me. Well, no, we talk every week, right? There's no big deal about it if we're meeting on Tuesday, right? For some of my people, they are at a scheduled time during the week, but most of our agreement is that when we finish the meeting, we schedule the next one. And so if it's eight days rather than six, or if it's 12 days rather than 14, but we've come to agreement about that and everybody knows what's going on. During those meetings, are you talking about results quite a bit? Because I imagine being in a remote environment, you probably don't care so much about what they're doing during the day, whether they're doing laundry or going to a personal appointment as long as the results are there. So during that coaching, that one-on-one, that meeting, are you reviewing some of the goals that maybe you set as a leader? Well, so first of all, for me, from my perspective, the one-on-one belongs as much to them or more than it does to me. So yeah, we're going to probably talk about results. We're going to talk about progress. We're going to talk about how they're doing. We're going to talk about what's in their way, how I can help remove obstacles for them. I may give them some feedback, some encouragement. I may share some correction or some observations of things that they could improve. And I'm going to ask the same of them about me. So it's really a conversation and certainly results and progress are going to be a part of it. But the whole meeting isn't just about that. Kevin, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. What else do you want to say about leadership, remote leadership, anything that, you know, trend-wise, what we're going to see in the next few years, if anything is going to change dramatically? Well, you know, you mentioned the book, The Long Distance Leader Rules for Remarkable Remote Leadership. And they are rules that we have in the book. And the first rule is leadership first, location second. So if you're leading a remote team, we clearly would urge you, whether it's with our help or others, to be thinking about what the differences are to do it better remotely. But the whole world has not changed. So continue to work on what you need to do to become a more effective leader, period. And then think about the long distance difference. And hopefully our book, The Long Distance Leader, would help. You could go to longdistanceleaderbook.com or you could go to remoteleadershipinstitute.com, two places where you could learn more about what we're up to, get some special bonuses, some free stuff, a blog, video, lots more. Keep up the great work, Kevin. Great content and I appreciate what you're doing. 